I thought tonight we might try Hosea. Hosea was the last prophet before the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. So a lot of his prophecies are specific to Israel, the, the, the nation Israel, which is the upper kingdom, not the nation Israel, the entire Hebrew people. The northern kingdom was extremely prosperous, and with that prosperity came idol worship, falling away from God, you know, sort of the, the normal stuff that happens when a society gets prosperous. The downfall of the northern kingdom started with Jeroboam. When he took kingship over the northern kingdom, you remember set up golden calves at Bethel and at Lachish. And he also changed the festivals. He moved the Feasts of Ascent one month later. Each of his feasts were a month later than the one God was doing, and he eventually closed off all travel between north and south so that the people could not go back down to the south to celebrate the Feasts of Ascent. His idea was, yeah, I've got the northern kingdom and i got the ten tribes in the north, but if everybody keeps going down south to Jerusalem for all these feasts, eventually things are going to reunite and I'm going to lose everything. To prevent that, he set up golden calves at Bethel and Lachish. He forbade the people from the northern kingdom to go down to the southern kingdom. So that's sort of the start of their apostasy. So the next thing that happened is Ahab, who is one of the successor kings, married Jezebel, who came with her gods, the Baals, and they coerced everybody into following the Baals, but that coercion had already been started under Jeroboam. Now we're even later yet, we're several kings down the road. Israel is prosperous physically, but they have gone in the way of idol worship. So that's the situation that Hosea is prophesying into. As most of you know, the northern kingdom was destroyed in about 722 BC. So Hosea would have been prophesying immediately before that. So now I'm in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. I got to tell you, being a prophet stuff duty. I mean, marriage is difficult enough when both of you are trying, but when you're told to go pick a gal that's not even going to try, and you know that going in, that's kind of grim. Hosea means salvation. Gomer means complete or perfect. Diblom, her father, is two cakes of figs. I don't know what any of that means, but I looked them all up just because the names of their children are, in fact, going to be significant. Gomer and Hosea have a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. The name means he will be sown by God. 
which is to say fruitful or prosperous. And when we were in the geography course, you all will remember that the Jezreel Valley is in the north of Israel, and it cuts Israel transversely from the Jordan River out to the Mediterranean. Broad agricultural plain. So what's the blood of Jezreel that God is upset with Jehu over? And who's Jehu? Jehu is the king of Israel, the northern tribes. And he, with the help of God, took out the house of Omri. The house of Omri is the ancestors to Ahab. So the the lineage of Ahab has been taken out. Jehu destroyed all of the surviving children of Omri and became undisputed king. In the process, there was a battle in Jezreel where Israel and Judah got together to fight the Syrians. Not the Assyrians, the Syrians. In that battle, Jehu shot an arrow and killed Ahaziah. Now Ahaziah is the king of Judah. So I am inferring that the blood that God is going to avenge here is the blood of Ahaziah where Jehu killed the king of Judah. Since killing the descendants of Omri was something that God told him to do, I I suspect that God is not talking about that when he's talking about avenging the blood of Israel. And oh, by the way, the arrow that killed Ahaziah was shot by Jehu, and it was in Jezreel. So I'm assuming that's what we're talking about here. All of which is a long explanation, but if you don't know the players, you'll, you'll be completely lost. So back to verse 4 again, now that I've done all that. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Well, the thing that Jehu used to kill Ahaz was a bow and arrow. So that sort of lends weight to my speculation that that's what we're talking about. So now we've got one son so far. Now we're down to verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruamah. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Lo Ruama means no mercy. That's what this little gal's name means. You know, here you are a dad, and you've been told to marry a prostitute. And you're being told by God what the names of your children are going to be. So you can't name her Sally or Susie or Daisy or Dawn or any of that kind of stuff. No, you got to name her No Mercy. Being Hosea was not an easy job. I don't envy him at all. Also, the other thing to mark as we go through this is it's very clear that we're talking about the divided kingdom. Because you have here the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Israel, in the context of this prophecy, refers generally to the northern kingdom. And since most of us in this congregation are of the two-house persuasion, one of the things that's going to happen is 
even though God is scattering Israel, there is a promise in here that they will be regathered. This is one of the places where those of a two-house persuasion will come to say that Ephraim is not, in fact, completely lost. God knows where they are, and they will be brought back. Verse 8, when she had weaned Lorulama, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So Lo-Ami means not my people. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. We've got to go all the way back to the end of Genesis. And you all remember that when Jacob was blessing his sons on his deathbed. The blessing starts with Abraham when God pulls him out of Ur and says, get out of your country and so forth. That blessing is passed on to Isaac, skipping Ishmael. From Isaac it is then passed on to Jacob, skipping Esau. And then from Jacob it is passed on to Joseph. And Ephraim is the lead tribe in Joseph. The blessing of Abraham is land and descendants. The northern kingdom, which is about to be sent off into exile, is Joseph. So what's happening here is God is going to send them into exile for idolatry and a bunch of other stuff that we'll read about in a minute. But in this paragraph that we just read, what he is saying is that even though you're going into exile for really good reasons, you are still the chosen seed of Abraham, and in you and in Joseph, that blessing will continue, so you will continue to be blessed with offspring, and you will continue to be blessed with land. And then in the end, you will be brought back, and the two kingdoms will be reunified. That's all sort of in this verses 10 and 11. Let me read 10 and 11 again now with that explanation. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. So the number of the children of Israel, remember we're talking two houses in this prophecy. So this is the children of the northern tribes, not unified Israel in this context. Then in verse 11, and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And the day of Jezreel is then the day when God will plant, or God will sow. That's what Jezreel means. So it's saying great will be the day when God shall sow. So now we come down to chapter 2. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. I am not sure in context who the brothers and sisters are. I'm, I'm assuming he's still talking to Hosea here because the quotation starts back in verse 8. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God, yet the number, and so forth. So this is all a quote from God. Now say to your brothers, You are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother 
plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. God is speaking. Who is he speaking to? I think he's speaking to Hosea. If you go back up to verse 8, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. So he's talking to Hosea there, the one who's going to name the child. This is continuously a quotation or a conversation from God. So I am assuming that it is continuing to be addressed to Hosea. So now, what's happening in verse 2 is he is talking immediately about Hosea's family, his wife and his three children. So now what he's doing is he's popping up. Say to your brothers, well, who are Hosea's brothers? The people of Israel. So say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters you have received mercy. Plead with your mother. Who's his mother in this case? I'm saying it's Israel, speaking of the nation. Like Mother Russia, you know, in that context. What's happening is God has set up Hosea's immediate family as a tableau or a prophecy or a, a skit or an act. And so now what he's saying is, all this stuff that I have just set up in your family, you now need to transfer to the nation Israel. So now, back to verse 2 again. If we've got, we got all the people straight here. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. This reminds me of Ezekiel 16.6. When I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, and you were naked and bare. When I passed you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk, and so forth. These two things read very much alike. The metaphors are very much the same. God has found Israel and basically taken her out of the mire, cleaned her up, dressed her up, made a covenant with her, and this is how she repays him. What he's saying in verse 3 is, I can return you to that state. So in verse 3 in Hosea, chapter 2, verse 3 in Hosea, lest I strip her naked and make her as the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Well, the Ezekiel passage says, that's where I found you. Verse 4, upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. And this is parallel to what God is saying in Ezekiel. I took you out, I cleaned you up, I dressed you in the finest stuff, I lavished all sorts of 
blessings upon you. And what you're now saying here in Hosea is, oh, I'm giving credit to the Baals for that. Pick it up at five so I can get a run at it. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. Comparing with our Ezekiel 16 passage, God in Ezekiel has said, I gave you all this stuff. In Hosea, Israel is saying, I got this all from Baal. And what God is saying is, fine, if that's what you think, what I'm going to do is build a thorn hedge around you, and the only opening in that thorn hedge is going to be toward me. So you can chase after your balls all you want, but as you do, what you're going to do is you're going to run into the thorns. And the only way that isn't through the thorns is the way out of there which comes to me. So it's like a bottle. All the walls of the bottle are thorns, and you hey babe, you're welcome to thrash around the thorns all you want, but I'm telling you, you're not going to make any progress in that direction. The only direction you're going to make progress is through the neck of the bottle, which leads to me. So all the way down to verse 8 now, maybe. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, with which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. What he's saying is, as you're thrashing through the thorns, all of the stuff that you think you have been given by your adulterous lovers is going to be stripped away from you. Anybody ever go through a field of brambles with a coat and a scarf on very easy to lose your scarf and your hat and other stuff as you go through the brambles. And that's sort of what's going to happen here. Back in verse 8, something interesting. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which she used for Baal. What does that mean? Remember, I led off with the tale of the golden calves, and then the tale of Jezebel, the golden calf starts down the road to idol worship. And as they're worshiping the golden calf, they think that they are worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just like they did in the wilderness. They weren't thinking that they were worshiping an idol. They thought they were worshiping God and they were using an idol. God got really chapped with them because that leads them down the path to idolatry. So the next step in that path is Jezebel 
marries Ahab. And she aggressively pushes the cult of Baal because that was her god. And that is several generations earlier. So by the time Israel is ready to be sent into exile, they have now got a state religion that is Baal worship because there has been a progression of that starting back with the division of the kingdom. So at the time that they are ready to be sent off, most people have only been taught about Baal. That's what they grew up in Sunday school learning. And so if you worship him, then you give him credit for this. And at some point, God says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not Canaanites, you're my people. You're not supposed to be doing this. But this idea in verse 8, that they did not know that it was I who gave her, many of them didn't know. Because they had grown up worshiping Baal. At that point, God is more than a little bit ticked. And so what he's going to do is he is, in fact, now going to withdraw all those things that he has given them. And he's going to withdraw their Sabbaths and their feasts and all of that kind of stuff. And he's going to send them into the wilderness naked or into exile, basically naked, metaphorically. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a valley of hope. The valley of Achor means the valley of trouble. And that's the valley outside of Jericho where they stoned Achan, who took loot out of Jericho, which was forbidden. So verse 15 again. There I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she will answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. So what God is saying is, I am going to put you back into the condition I found you. And that was in Ezekiel, back in Ezekiel 16.6. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. So the idea there is I found you naked and bloody in the wilderness, I am going to put you back into the wilderness, metaphorically, naked and bloody. And there's where I'm going to woo you, just like I did the first time in the wilderness. What is it about the wilderness? There's nothing else to do. There's no 7-Eleven. There's no cable TV. There's nothing except you and God. So what he does is he takes us out into the wilderness when he wants us to get away from all of the toys that distract us. And we all get distracted by toys. Verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, or my master. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground, And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. What's he talking about there? Look at the conditions. Where have we seen those conditions before? I will make 
for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. I will give you dominion over all the earth, just like I gave to your father Adam. So when I bring you back, what we're going to do is we are going to establish what I wanted to have happen in the garden. You'll have peace, you'll have dominion over the land, and you will have a right relationship with me. So verse 21, And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, and I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. Two witnesses, heaven and earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel, the global plant. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on Lo-Ruama, and I will say to Lo-Ami, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So the idea is all of this stuff is backed up. I will suggest all the way back to the garden. Somebody like closing prayer?